Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Hello and greetings to the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today because I've got a great guest. His name is Bill Zimmer. He's been in business for 43 years. You know, we talk a lot about longevity in my business and how to reinvent to stay relevant. Well, here's a guy that for 43 years has been in the patios and sunrooms business. That's right. So it's kind of a neat little niche. If you happen to have a home in the Midwest and you decide, hey, I'd like to have this beautiful little sunroom, maybe with a fireplace over in a corner where my wife and I can sit out back and we can watch the birds come into the bird feeder. This is the company that you call. So we're going to dig into how one specializes in something like patios and sunrooms, what other uh, interesting ideas that they've come up with and uh, products they've experimented with, and also lessons along the way. So my guest is Bill Zimmer, proprietor, owner, founder of W.A. Zimmer & Company. Mr. Zimmer, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. So I gave the introduction there. What did I miss? 43 years. You started out. Tell me how this whole thing started. First of all, I'm ready to buy a sunroom. That you described is sounding pretty good. Yeah, Maybe well, I hire you to do my commercials or something. Well, I know a little thing or two about marketing. Yeah, I could probably get one of your sunrooms sold, but I don't know as much about it as you nor your sales force. You have 14 employees now. Things are going along pretty well. You told me that 2019 might end up being a record or at least among the best years you've had. Over the course of 43 years, you've obviously learned a lot. We're going to get into those lessons, but how did this all start? Well, Many years ago, when I was in high school, I was working in a gas station, and guys came in, and they were driving big cars, and I liked cars. And I said, what do you guys do? They said, well, we sell siding. And of course, I really didn't know what siding was, but I said, do you have any jobs? They said, yeah, come on out. So they hired me. I think I went out and first day, and they gave me a clipboard and they took me up to a couple of doors. They knocked on the door and said uh, something about, hey, I um, noticed you had a little peeling on the side of your house here. I wonder if you thought about uh, putting new siding on your house. And we'd get an answer or whatever. And we did that for about a half an hour. They kicked me out of the car and I never saw them again. They just told me to go to door to door and ask for people if they're interested in buying siding. So I did that for a couple of summers and I'd run around with those sales guys, go back on the calls, and it just kind of got into my blood at that young age. And I uh, always enjoyed dealing with people. And so I did that for a while and ended up deciding to come to Huntington and do it for myself in 1976. So in 1976, you started out this business, and what, what did it look like? What did you start out with? You had a pickup truck and a clipboard and a, and a loan? Uh, I had... Uh, I sold a car, so I had a little money, and I rented a building from a guy on a handshake, and I had my wife and myself, and I had a subcontractor who came with me from the other company, and and I went out and knocked on doors, sold some jobs, and just one by one, and kept going. 
Got it. So when you uh, when you started this thing out, you you didn't have a whole lot uh, of, of backing or financial resources, but you could go out and sell this stuff. So you start selling. Did you immediately start specializing in patios and sunrooms, or did no, that evolve? No. We were, all, you know, at that time in 1976, we didn't know what a patio was. We didn't do replacement windows. We did siding, siding, gutters, storm windows, storm doors. And that was about it. Okay, so things start taking off. You're selling. You're making a living, and the business is probably doing okay. And when did you make the switch to specialize? Well, in, in a couple of years, we were going crazy with siding. Okay, we were buying it by the truckload. I think this will be relevant to what you want to talk about. We bought it by the truckload. Everything was wonderful. If you wanted to buy yellow siding. Yellow vinyl siding in northern Indiana, you're probably going to have to come to me because I bought it by the truckload. I'd get it in. I had a great prices and so forth. And that went along for several years, maybe into the early 80s. And pretty soon we started hearing about things called big boxes. And I think back then it was Builder's Square and uh, some other, you know, the, the big chain stores. And they started yeah, pre Home Depot, but basically right, they right. were they were different, smaller versions of Home Depot. That's right. And they said, you know what, this Zimmer guy here thinks he's got siding well, for sale. By golly, I, we can just we can knock him out of the I, water. I don't think they knew I existed, but right. they but they they were offering that. And I could see the distribution channels were going to change. That uh, well, it's complicated, but I mean, back then you had eight inch and four inch siding, and then somebody came up with the idea of five inch and three inch. So we really couldn't buy truckloads and stock it and guess what people wanted to buy. So the distribution changed to the manufacturer uh, having his own distributorships and blah, blah, blah. So we just kind of looked for other things that we could do that would be more exclusive and we wouldn't have to fight with those guys. And uh, we started out selling some aluminum patio covers and then we started putting windows underneath that cover and they became sunrooms and they were pretty uh, archaic and uh, basic, you know, it was just a one layer of aluminum in and, and the walls and the, and the ceiling, and they got pretty hot in the afternoon. And um, as time, we, we hooked up with a company that made an insulated version of that, and that's been like 38 years ago, and we're still with them. They're, they're a great supplier. So that's the wall. So it's, it's a supplier of the raw materials that you needed. So when you said, all right, we've got this niche. I can't be the siding sales place. So we're going to start doing this thing. And that was in the 80s when it started to take off. Did it just take off or did you have to push this like a rock up a hill? Well, we had, I, I won't say we got out of the siding business. We didn't drop it immediately. We kept siding. We added Replacement windows weren't even a thing when we started, but in, in the 80s, replacement windows became something, and you had the, the big companies that marketed a lot on TV, and they created a market behind them. They sold a lot of windows for $1,000, which we could go out and sell a window for $400 back then. And it's basically the same window. They just had a lot of marketing and sales costs. But uh, as time went on, you know, we, we, we widened our offerings to get bigger. And then, I don't know, the employment changed a bit, and, and, and we could see that we could get better in rooms. I always said if I could sell a million dollars in rooms, I'd drop everything else, and that day came. And so we cut, started weaning ourselves away from the other products and uh, became like the room guy. And then rooms have changed because rooms were really big in the 
late 90s and the, and the early 2000s, and they dropped off during the recession. And we've switched over to pergolas and then operable pergolas, and we do awnings, and we do a lot of patio covers that really look sharp and a lot of outdoor patio things. So, so it's, it's changed a lot. One of the things, Bill, you said about business that I think is an interesting thing. You said you kept getting bigger by expanding products, and then the idea was you sort of started shrinking the offering and becoming more focused. There's a temptation that probably everybody has. Why not do it all? And that might be one of the reasons you're successful. You didn't. You you got bigger by expanding offerings. Siding becomes windows, becomes additions, becomes this, becomes that. And then you said, wait a minute, now we're going to rifle this thing back in and start cutting stuff. The temptation would have been for a lot of folks, let's do it all. But then you're the old, is it the jack of all trades, master of none? Well, as I got bigger, after 18 years of renting a building, I went out and built a big building. And then I could have a showroom. And then I got an advertising agency involved, and the, and the guy that I worked with ultimately for many years set where I'm setting now, and he said, I can make you number one in one thing. I can make it you number one in siding, in windows, or in rooms. Pick one. So I said rooms. So we, we focused all our marketing on rooms. I see, because the idea was... Uh, you're, you're not going to be good at being three things. You're right. going to be good at being one thing. And you opted for rooms believing that it was less crowded? or you Less were... crowded, and I, and I had a great relationship, and I bought it by the truckload. I, you know, just like in the old days, I bought siding by the truckload when I could. And then that went away. <laughs> and then at, in the early room days, we ended up, when we made that decision to go just with rooms, we could buy, they only made it in two colors back then, so we bought bronze and white, and they only made it in single glass, and they made fours and fives in width, so we just brought them in by the truckload, and we'd just sell right out of the pile. So if somebody wanted a room two weeks later, we had the material in stock. And for somebody that's listening to this that lives like out by me in Phoenix, Arizona, they might be saying, what is this guy talking about? Okay, well, remember, in our part of the Midwest, where Mr. Zimmer and I are from, which is the state of Indiana, about half the year, you don't really want to be outdoors. Maybe more than half the year, you don't even want to be outdoors. So one of these rooms that you're adding on, it's, it's okay, there's a cement patio maybe that's outside the back right, sliding door, right. and then you say, we can give you a 20 by 14 space here that you can... Bring the outdoors in without the bugs, without the snow, without the dirt, all that kind of stuff. But you feel like you're outdoors because you can see everything that's going on. So there is the pitch. You can be, you're essentially, it's kind of outdoors, but it's also indoors, and it works. So you sell these things, and you got really good at being the rooms and patio uh, sunroom addition guy company. This what started going on in the 90s, and that's really where your focus is now. The recession hit in uh, 2008, particularly hit places that did uh, construction because a lot of folks said, we can't afford to do anything. We're just barely able to make our mortgage payment. You decided to broaden the product category again. You've yeah. got a display down here in your building that's for bathrooms. Right. And then that didn't end up being something you wanted to do. Well, that's a different animal. We, we picked that because it would give us some winter work and offset some of the, the cold weather here. Um, it's very difficult to find labor for that. It's very intricate. Not everybody, and not every installer that I had wanted to work in somebody else's bathroom. It just wasn't comfortable for them. Right. So we had the last guy retire about 
three years ago, and we just said, nope, done with that. Go back to the pergolas and patio covers and awnings. How many pergolas and patios do you think you're going to uh, erect or re reconstruct this in the year 2019? I would say between three and four hundred. Okay, so three to four hundred of these projects. That means you've got some months where you can't work, but during the months when you can, you're bumping pretty hard. Uh, what's what's the next thing? Do you want to get to five hundred? Are you are you kind of happy right here? What's growth look like? Do you want to? Well, grow? I'm, I'm pretty happy, but I think that growth is limited a bit by who you can employ and teach. The installation process too, and can keep control of that. Um, that's that's the limitation right now. We're in great shape, but it's not easy to add that extra guy. Have you been solicited? People wanting to buy you? I'm sure you have. I have people who want to sell me. <laughs> <laughs> they they want to come in and you know list list the business and all that. I'm just not to that point where I'm comfortable doing that. You're the only owner. Yep. And you're 70 years old. No. Okay. Now I'm pushing. I'm 66. Okay, you're 66. All right, so you're 66 years old, and the issue is, at some point, you probably move on. But you're not anywhere there. You're still reading. I notice you still keep up with how to improve your business. You know, you you are on a Do Business Better podcast. You've got a folder over here about how to maintain profitability. Do you think that at age 66 you're less less motivated, more motivated, the same motivated you've always been? What's it like? Just do different things. Just pay attention to, to a different part of the process. You know, you read a lot of those books, and they say you need to work on your business, not in your business. And it really took me a long time to get out of that working every day in the sales end of it. And so now I'm in more in the, the thinking process and the planning stages and, yeah, thinking about where we're going next. It's a challenge. You know, everybody likes to say that, and I obviously – speak for a living so I've been on the on the stage right after I heard somebody get up and say something like that from the stage well at some point you still are a practitioner at some point you still are the 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 brains the marketing whatever behind this so it's a neat thing to say work on the business not in the business but at some point you still have to be in charge yeah you're still I'm just hanging out trying to be the supportive person if they need some help and um, but I don't want to do the calls at 7 o'clock at night like I did for years and years and years. One of my most famous uh, statements that my listeners know is you do not need a business plan to make money. You probably need a business plan to borrow money. Bankers love business plans. I, as an entrepreneurial-minded person, have never had one. Have you had a formal business plan? Uh, not. I had a one-page sheet when I started in 1976, told me what the rent was going to be and what I needed to cover. Was that for you or for a banker? That was for me. Okay. Yeah. So you've, you've, you've done pretty well and you've built this thing up and now you have 14 employees and you're working in a few different states. So you, I'd say you've done okay for not having a formal business plan. Do you set goals? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Every year like I do? I've set personal goals over a long period of time. Uh, we set sales goals every year. Yeah. And you're attaining them. And I say we set because I, I think... I can set all the goals, numbers, you know, the sales numbers, but if I get the employees who are responsible for it, they actually picked a much higher number than I did for 2019. They're going to be a lot closer than I was. That's fantastic. Next thing. So somebody that is out here that says, you know, I'm, I'm a small business person. It's just me and I got one hired person. You've got 14. Uh, 
how do you go from uh, you know one, two, three people to then fourteen and keep? Because it seems like you've got a lot of buy-in. Like these people are really into it. Well, our our employees are super right now, and the difference <laughs> is when we made a decision. Character first. We don't care what they know about our business. We don't care what they know about the industry. Character first, and we can teach them everything else. But you can't teach character. Where have you done? Where have you done uh, everything right? Where's like one of the things that you say? You know what really helped me was in 1987. I did this right, or 1967. Um, whatever. There's I, some point where you look back and say, "This is something I did right." You asked me about this podcast a while back, and one of the things I think of is really important in our company is the idea that every person that walks through your door or picks up the phone and calls you has a preconceived idea of what's going to be like to do business with you. And the closer you can be to that expectation and still make money, the more successful you're going to be. So the idea is you set the tone. So the customer comes in or prospective customer comes in and, and or has a sales call with one of your sales reps, and then they understand what dealing with W.A. Zimmer is going to feel like and sound like and be like. Right. And you, got, you have to set that in your marketing. I mean, if we said, oh, wow, we have pergolas and we're going to be the cheapest guys in the world and nobody can beat our prices, well, they walk in the door and we show them a high-quality product and we say it's X amount of dollars and it's the highest price they ever heard of, that doesn't meet their expectations. So we just try to tell them you're buying something that's going to last a, a lifetime and we're going to take care of you and that's the kind of perception they should have. And, and when we don't match up with somebody, it, it's just not going to work. You told me before we started recording about uh, a customer that became a customer. It took a while to cultivate it where they said uh, they'd had you out and then the job didn't come through and then they had you out a oh, subsequent yeah. time. And yeah. then they said, you're the, you're the, you're expensive, but you're the best. And you said, I'll take that. Yeah. Now that goes right into what I preach is if you're selling on price, if you're only proposition is that you're cheapest, you should just print up a sales sheet and fire yourself as a salesperson because being cheapest doesn't require any salesmanship. You do not want to be cheap and you never have been, but you were when you were siding person, I guess. And then, well, and then said, I, I was, I had a value and my, I have to, you have to create value and the value that I had, I was, I was in the market because I had a specialty product and I bought it in a high high volume so I could be competitive with it. You know, it's still a high quality product. Um, today we buy pergolas by the truckload and that, you know, you get a big discount when you buy them by the truckload and you pay cash up front. So that, you know, gives you the advantage. But you don't sell on price. We don't sell on price. We sell, we, we are able to sell a high quality product at a lower price than other people. And actually, by buying it by the truckload, you can be closer to the price of something that's less quality, like mm -hmm. a, a vinyl or a wood or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, in your uh, in your life, in your business, and you're 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 done all right here, and you got a nice business. I always ask entrepreneurial people: if I gave you four more hours per week, how would you utilize, utilize those four hours? I would go play with my grandkids. <laughs> and and 20 years ago, it would have been a different answer. Oh, 20 years ago, I'd have probably tried to go sell something, yeah. What do other businesses get wrong? You look at other businesses. You're a customer. You buy stuff. Uh, you've been around a while. You're a sharp guy. What are other businesses doing wrong? 
Well, I don't know. They, they pay attention. It's, they don't have a level of awareness. And, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but, you know, the light switches get dirty. The, the weeds grow up between the cracks and the sidewalk. And they just don't pay attention to the things that customers are going to pay attention to. Yeah, the image, and then it becomes a matter of the customer thinks, well, if they don't care about this, then yeah, what? That's, yeah, and, the, and you have to think, you have to put yourself in the customer's shoes and, and think like they do and look at your own business like, oh, if, if I were buying this, would I buy from these guys? What are they saying that I, that I do like? What are they saying that I don't like? What's their website look like? It's a, that's very astute. I point that out all the time that the benefit, because uh, background in comedy, to breaking down tape, meaning you listen to yourself and then you see, by doing that, you see and hear what the audience does. So how do you do that? How do you look like the customer? You, you go out and walk around the backyard and say, if I owned this house, and I, what would my sunroom look like? What would my room addition look like? Well, I think I look at it more from this TV commercial that I'm running. I'm the marketing guy now, so I'm I'm looking at from what's the customer see in our marketing, and and are they seeing things that appeal to them? I mean, you know, our, we have to know who our market is, and our market is basically 45 on up, and and maybe a little heavier in the 65 on up. So if I'm going to advertise with pictures of my building, I might put. Uh, 66 GTOs in the ad just because that's going to attract the attention of the, that age group. <clears throat> I'm not going to put whatever millennials are attracted to because I don't even know. But. So 10 years from now, you're going to have to appeal to uh, a millennial. Is, there, is it going to be a problem? No, you know, that's really, I think that's interesting that when I was um, really young, I mean, when I started this when I was 23, but I, I was selling, you, you always sell to older people because the younger people can do it themselves. They don't have the money um, or they're just, they just don't understand quality. And I thought, man, these young kids, they're so hard to deal with. And the older people are, are they understand it, they get it, they want to buy. I said, what am I going to do when they all die off? Well, that's, it isn't my problem. Because people change as they age. They learn. So it's not a matter of baby boomer, Gen X, millennial. It's just a matter of demographic is when they hit, right, when they hit 60, right. when they hit 60, they become a better customer. At least they understand that cheap gets you crap. Well, I think a lot of things can happen in their own life. They may be sending the kids off to college. They want some changes in their own house. I mean, there's a ton of things that happen. Maybe they're, well, they're getting ready to retire. They want to spend the money on these things before they retire and get them paid for. Or now they're home, they're retired, so they want to have more things to do around the home. One piece of advice, knowledge, or personal lesson any person that's in business can apply to their own life and business. Because you've been out here since you were 23 years old. You know, I quit my job when I was 25, and I think I've got a lot of knowledge and wisdom based on probably some hard scrapes and some, and some you know, some euphoric moments. I've been at it for 25 years. You've been at it for 43 years. Give me some lessons. Give me some ideas. Give me some knowledge. Oh, Give yeah. me some... The, the, one of the main themes is... Just don't get too excited. When things are really, really good, don't get too excited because they'll get bad again. And when things are really, really bad, don't get too excited because they'll get good again. So if you got a lot of money because you're high, flying high, don't spend it all. <laughs> and don't give up if things get tough because it'll come back. It just, it just goes up and down and you just got to hang in there and be persistent. I like it. Bill Zimmer's been my guest. You've been listening to the Do Business Better podcast. I really appreciate you uh, being on here. 
Well, thanks for having me. You betcha. Till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast.